Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is producer and remixer Dave Day. But first of all, DJ streaming. Even if you're not a DJ or into that culture, I think you'll find this interesting. And the reason why I bring it up is because DJ culture in general and the way DJs work is about to change big time. Why? Well, way back when DJs first came on the scene, basically everything was built around records. So they all had big vinyl collections. And that changed into data. So all of a sudden the records were ditched. And at least on gigs, all of a sudden there were downloads, MP3s, WAV files, AIFFs, FLAC files. So a typical DJ could really cut down on what they're using on stage to maybe even as little as a laptop. Now this looks like it's going to change from downloads to streaming, where a DJ could actually stream everything rather than using song files. And the reason why this is important is because it's going to change a lot in the DJ culture. Right now, download costs anywhere between 99 cents and 249. So there's really some money being made by the beat makers and by Beatport, which is a dance music download service and one of the major ways the DJs find songs. Beatport is now changing its business model from downloads to streaming. We're seeing this even in Spotify, where on a few dance music playlists, they have beat matching through artificial intelligence. So why is this going to change the industry? Well, just like everything changed when the rest of the music industry went from downloads to streaming, there was, at least at first, a whole lot less money being made. Same thing's going to happen on the DJ side. Took a while to get there, but it looks like it's getting there. Beatport is rolling out something new called Beatport Link, and the entry level is $15 a month, Pro level is $40 a month, and a Pro Plus level is $60 a month. The difference is, the more you pay per month, the higher res files you get, and the number of files that you can download for offline use. Now, I don't know if you realize how streaming royalties actually work, and this is all streaming platforms. If you're paying $9.99 a month, and you only listen to one artist for that whole month, say a thousand times for Beyonce, well, Beyonce doesn't get your $9.99. No, in fact, it goes into a pool, and then it's distributed amongst all the artists on Spotify or whatever platform we're talking about. Generally speaking, it's a market share formula that they use. So in other words, the more you're streamed, the more you make per stream. Something like this is also going to happen on Beatport now. And what that means is, A lot of dance music composers that were making a fair amount of money on Beatport probably won't be making that anymore. So just as we've seen in the rest of the music business, the financial picture of who's making money and how much they're making is really going to change. It should be interesting to see exactly what happens there, mostly because, again, this is way behind the rest of the music industry. If you kind of look at it, you think, well, this is bound to happen. But it appears that most of that industry is unprepared for it. So keep an eye out for a lot of very nasty comments that are going to start to pop up on forums and on posts everywhere on the internet, and they're going to be coming from some unhappy DJs. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyownercircle.com. 
Don't forget about my online courses on mixing, production, branding, and music business success at bobbyosenskycourses.com. Also, get an expert analysis and objective opinion of your songs and mixes as a member of my Hitmakers Club. Go to hitmakersclub.com to learn more. Now, I didn't go to Summer Nam, and I haven't gone in years and years. The reason why is Summer Nam has kind of devolved into a very small and sort of insignificant show. That being said, it's now changed, and it looks like it's gained a lot of steam, especially this year. Why do I say that? Because all of a sudden, there's a lot of new products being released at Summer Nam, and that didn't happen for a really long time. For instance, there's new products by Avid and AKG, Eventide, and of course, every guitar maker you can think of. So since it's held in Nashville, everybody thought about Summer Nam as a guitar show. The interesting thing is, once upon a time, maybe 20 years ago, Summer Nam used to be held at McCormick Place in Chicago, and it was a huge show. In fact, it rivaled Winter Nam in terms of how big it was and what the attendance was. I can't say why Nam bailed out of Chicago, but once they moved to Nashville, everything really slowed down and got a lot smaller. But that looks like it's taking a different turn, and I think it's now a must-see. So it's on my calendar for next year, and if you go to shows like this, maybe it should be on yours, too. My guest today is Dave Auday, who's a producer and remixer with an astounding 133 number ones on Billboard's Dance Club chart. That's more than any other producer, and what makes it even more impressive is the fact that 14 are his own singles as an artist. He's also won a Grammy for his remix of Uptown Funk by Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars. Dave has also produced for superstar artists such as U2, Korn, Coldplay, One Direction, Katy Perry, Rihanna, Lady Gaga, Madonna, Britney Spears, Beyonce, and many more. Most recently, Dave produced six songs on Sting's latest album. During the interview, we spoke about how remixing has changed over the years, the elements he receives for a remix, producing Sting, how his personal studio has evolved, his favorite plugins, and much more. I spoke with Dave via Skype from his studio in Nashville. Tell me about your early days getting into the music business. Um, you know, my early days was really in my 20s. Uh, I started going out clubbing. Before that, growing up in the, in the San Fernando Valley, I was a keyboard player and in rock bands. And um, I, didn't never, I never really knew of any career in music except being a keyboard player for a band. So that's what I always kind of dreamed of doing um, and what I always aspired to do. And then going to clubs, I met a guy that ran one of the clubs and he, his name was Steve Levy, and he ended up uh, starting a record label uh, around a band that we formed called Lunatic Fringe. So it was a techno band. In other, in other words, you know, dance music, techno, uh, early 90s was just basically there was techno and house music. That's it. In, in dance music. So I ended up starting a band with him and he started a record label around the band. And the record label was called Moonshine Records, Moonshine Music. And um, that's really how I got my start in the record business. There's a big difference here between playing keyboards in, in a band to doing what you're doing. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out the mental jump that you had to make 
in order to do that? Well, I, it's a love. That's the beginning of my career. So there's a huge from what I'm doing now. And that that was basically I was still a keyboard player and I was making music. You know, when I was 13, my father, uh, I was very fortunate. My father got me my first synthesizer, which is a JX3P. Oh. And along with that, I, I shortly got a TR. I got a 606. Couldn't afford like an 808 or a or even a 909. So I got a 606 and, or a 626, was it? And, um, and then I got an MSQ100, a sequencer. So uh, I'm telling you that because I, I started doing this stuff at a young age. So by the time I was in my early 20s, I was already sort of teaching MIDI and teaching tape editing at the local uh, recording school called LA Recording Workshop, which is now LA Recording School. So I was really ahead of everybody else at, at my in my age, anyways. Everybody else in my age was either playing guitars, or uh, singing, or playing drums or something. But nobody was really, you know, sequencing. And, and you know, I was doing this when Pro Tools was born. So I was I, I immediately uh, started using Pro Tools when it first came out. It was called Sound Tools, and immediately within a, within six months was teaching Pro Tools to to engineering students. So jump jump 25 years later uh here i am i mean but between them between then and now i i've just sort of been you know in the studio every day of my life making music and sort of i cut my my career was sort of uh born along with this thing called remixing and I d i've done that for many years and now that's sort of turned into producing remixing which is producing but starting with a song and doing a new version of it kind of thing. So uh, that's, I mean, that, that's the very short version of my career, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go to remixing for a second. What's your approach? You've worked with so many great artists. I can remember when remixing was first in vogue in the 80s, and being, at the time, a rock musician myself, I was so violently opposed to it, where I think, what are they doing to this great song? Totally. But I get it. now it's changed completely where it's like, wow, this could be even better than the original. Yeah, that's my, that, listen, that was, that was what was exciting for me. I think when, you know, remixing really, it started in the late 80s, but in the late, obviously in the early 90s, technology allowed you to do crazy things, which is like, you know, slow and speed up vocals. Uh, and with, with the advent of the computer, you know, you're able to uh, do a lot more things you weren't able to do uh, a lot faster. And I think when I started remixing and producing, the dream for me was always, hey, my dream is I'm going to do something cool that the original artist, whether it be, uh, you know, U2 or I work with everybody. But, you know, this, the original artists from U2 to Sting to, to uh, uh, Rihanna to Madonna, whatever that they would like my original, ver my, my remix version maybe better than the original or just, just like it, I guess, appreciate it. And over the years, I've done so many remixes now. There's been a couple of times, I don't, I'm not going to say a, mil a lot, but there's been a bunch of times when I think that uh, my, my remix did get a lot more credit than the original. And that's the, that's the point of remixing. It was to, to promote the original song, but you know, from what you just said a second ago, I certainly try not to, not to ruin the the original song. You know, I mean, I'm trying to just do something different. 
Well, I think originally it was to try to make it a dance version. You know, like a rock song, for instance, a Bruce Springsteen song, and I can remember one in particular where it just seems so out of context. But on the other hand, it was introducing Bruce, the artist, and the song to a brand new audience. So if you look at it from that standpoint, it's perfectly acceptable. But if you look at it from a fan standpoint at the time, it was, what's going on here? I Listen, I totally understand both sides of it because, listen, I've heard many remixes ruin the song so if you it's like look i equated to sushi i didn't eat sushi really until i was like 23 and sushi when i was growing up sushi actually wasn't really like the thing it was kind of like some people ate sushi but but if you've had bad if you get bad sushi the first time you you eat sushi you're not gonna like sushi right yeah but fortunately for me Eating, you know, finally I got some good sushi and now I, I would eat it every day. Unfortunately, I'm in Nashville, which there's not a lot of great sushi in Nashville. There, there's okay sushi here, but where, I, where I've been the last, uh, my whole life until a year ago, in the San Fernando Valley, Valley Village is really like the sushi capital of at least LA, but maybe maybe the United States, I don't know. But but so if you look at that, if you equate that to, to remixing, you know, if you're Bruce Springsteen, for instance, and somebody some guy at the label does a remix of your song and it's terrible, you're going to think remixing's terrible. I don't want anybody to ever remix my stuff, right? Yeah. So it's, just, it's music. There's bad music. There's good, there's good music. There's good producers, bad producers, good singers, bad singers. So, you know, I'm hoping that, that uh, a lot of the artists that I've remixed over the years, I'm hoping, I'm hoping say good things about what I've done. I just recently did a remix for the first time there's not a lot of people that I've done remixing for the first time. Uh, Sarah Bareilles. Wow. And uh, she, I'll be honest with you, she didn't like what I did. So, because I did, I did like a disco mix of her song, uh, one of her newer songs called Fire. And she kind of said, hey, can you kind of, I'd like you to kind of stick closer to the original T-Bone Burnett version. So, and I said, you know, I got upset for a, for about a minute and then I said, you know, it's not my, it's not my song. It's, it's her song. So I, I'm going to try and make her happy. So I went back, rethought the whole thing, and she loved what I ended up doing. And that's the version that came out about a month ago. Um, and I'm really proud of it. So it's, you listen, it's good. It's good that it's good when they're involved. It's good when the artists are involved. It's their song. It's not my song. Yeah. I'm not doing this for me. I'm trying, I'm doing it for them to introduce them to a whole Group, new group of people so thank god for that and now she's got me remixing one of her classic songs so uh it's it's been it's been a good experience well let's talk about that for a second what's your approach then to a remix now let's start with the elements that you get well it depends on you know when people do hire me for remixes i mean there's different you know 15 years ago there was only one reason they were remixing a song and it was only one reason for clubs that's it they wanted me to give them a remix that they're going to press on vinyl and they're going to send out to DJs to play in clubs. 15 years ago, I'm trying to think. Yeah, 15 yeah, years ago. Okay. All right. I'm making, I'm making sure that the vinyl and the 15 years ago were correct. That is correct. 15 years ago, I was playing vinyl in clubs. So now with, 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 with uh, you know, the internet and with Spotify and, and iTunes and playlists, you know, there's... If they want people they want to do remixes to promote the song but they don't necessarily need it to be specifically for clubs it can be just another cool version that 
gets people to listen to 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 basically be interested in um, introduced to the artist. So it could be doesn't have to be an up tempo club mix. It can be just a cool 105 beats per minute type remix that uh, some people go, hey, I like this, and then they, oh, you know, it's Sarah Bareilles. Let me go listen to Sarah Bareilles' other stuff or whoever the artist is. You know, so today it's just remixing can be just for whatever. It can be for a movie. It could be for a an ad, it can be for a million things. What elements do you get? I usually get everything. I get the multi-track, usually. And it used to be they'd only send me the vocals, but about, I'd say about about 10 years ago, it's so easy just to send people the the mix stems, which is, you know, mix stems, drums, bass, guitars, vocals, background vocals, keyboards. It's, it's, it's easy enough, where it wasn't so easy a couple of decades ago, you'd have to really like load in the dat and like pull stuff off. So, so it's so easy now just to go, oh, here's everything. Because if I like other stuff for the song, sometimes there's a great guitar lick in the song or there's a great thing in the synthesizers or maybe a sound effect or something that really makes the song. And I'll try and keep that in the, in the song because that's specific to the song. Yeah, there's signatures to a song. Yeah, not just about a vocal. I mean, you know, there's other... You know, the instruments are as important. How long does it take you to do a remix? Great question. I have no idea. Sometimes it takes uh, three, four days. Sometimes it takes three weeks. If I'm really, my brain's not working, sometimes four weeks, but not not longer than three and four weeks for, for sure. That's the longest it would, it's ever taken me. And that's not working on it, by the way, every day. That's, you know, I work on anywhere from two to eight, nine things every day. Uh, because I'm writing so much music now, I have a lot of artists, like today I had an artist, I had Tyler, Travis Tritt's daughter, Tyler Tritt in here today, and I'm working with her on her first album. So, you know, every day I'm sp- is spent doing many, many things, uh, writing songs, recording vocals, finishing remixes, finishing uh, songs, productions, uh, and all the above. What's the most fun? For me, I love producing records, and that's remixing is remixing is underproducing. It's the same thing. Um, it's like a puzzle for me, you know, figuring out the song, figuring out the best parts of the song, arranging, um, mixing, producing, adding effects. You know, I just love the whole process of making things sound big or small or trying new things you know um i just love i love doing it i love making music i i love every I've, there's never been a minute i've never not loved what i do i've always loved to to do what i do you're in nashville now are you taking advantage of the vast wealth of studio musicians there or or are you just producing tracks and no overdubs no, I absolutely am taking advantage of of, El, of uh, Nashville. Uh, I've met so many people. This week was last week was CMA Fest, so I spent a lot of last week uh, just going down and seeing bands and, and fighting the crowds. But uh, I've met so many great people. I didn't move here for music per se, but I knew if I moved here, there was a great music thing going on in Nashville, and I've actually been very pleasantly surprised on how much bigger and better it was than I even expected. I moved here because I have three kids and 
they, they have a bigger, much bigger yard to run around in uh, with really good schools and a uh, much bigger house. That's uh, and, and, you know, frankly, it's more inexpensive than it is to live in L.A. So that's why I moved here and to give my, my kids a, a better way of life. But I've really discovered a great, a great thing here. There's a lot of great songwriters here. And, and like you said, a lot of great musicians. So I've just really started using guys, and which is great because I'm, I'm also sort of trans pivoting this point of my career. I've been pivoting the last couple of years into songwriting and producing. And so I've got all these musicians here. I'm, and, and most importantly, guitar players. I don't play guitar. So it's cool to have a lot of these great guitar players here uh, at my disposal. One of the things that I noticed the first time I went to Nashville was, you know, you think of it as the bastion of country music, and it is, but it's much more than that. And it, there's so much other types of music going on there. I was amazed at that. That being said, many of the people that I know that moved from L.A. to Nashville have told me that they had a hard time actually getting into the Nashville clique of musicians. And it was a difficult transition for them. Have you found that? Well, I'm not a musician. I mean, I am, but I'm not really trying to get gigs, pl playing gigs out here. So, yeah, but even as a producer, I've heard no, that. No, no, no. I, I, listen, I do feel there's a group of people here that, uh, you know, have been here for a while and are helping each other and working with each other. It's just like any clique, really. I mean, you know, everybody has friends they like and people they've worked with before and, and they're going to keep working with, you know, you do a good job for somebody. It's 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 fun to be loyal and it's great it's great to be loyal to people and when they do when they do great work for you so yeah it's a I definitely feel the Nashville sort of thing here I'm not trying to break into it I'm just kind of going hey here I am this is what I do and I think what's happening for me is a lot of people are sort of figuring out exactly what I do uh, because a lot of people here don't really aren't really into remixing. And a lot of people just think of me as a remixer. So I'm having a lot of meetings going uh, with them going, oh, you, what? You co-wrote a song for Selena Gomez and you just produced Sting's, six songs on Sting's new album? What are you talking about? Sting? You're working with Sting? You mean you remix Sting? No? No, 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 I produced six songs on Sting's new album. What? You do that? So I think that's the problem. And by the way, that's not just Nashville. <laughs> that's, that's the world going, oh my God, Dave, you're, you do other stuff. That's that's crazy. Well, now that you brought it up, let's go there for a second, working with Sting. And I know you worked with a lot of other great artists, but Sting is an icon. And he must like you enough to let you produce his records, which, you know, for anybody like that to give up that amount of control really says something. So how did you get that gig? Man, I'll tell you how I got it. I don't know how I got it. Um, I woke up and like it's like a dream. I'm still dreaming or something. I remixed uh, in 2003-ish, like 4-ish, Sting had an album called Sacred Love. And it was the last pop album he did for, well, until like three years ago. So between 2003 and 2015 or 16, he, hadn't, he didn't do a pop album. So 2003, he had an album called Sacred Love. And um, his marketing guy uh, at the time, Work, who worked for Interscope was Martin Kirzenbaum. And Martin, uh, I, Martin had just hired me to remix his, one of his band called Tattoo. 
And he loved what I did. Martin was a huge fan of what I did for Tattoo. So he goes, oh man, you got to remix Sting. And Sting was kind of coming off, the previous album was uh, um, Desert Rose remix guy, by a guy named Victor Calderon. And it was like the big Lincoln commercial on TV. And that the remix really kind of blew up Desert Rose. And so I think Martin was really like open. And Martin, Martin has always been a big uh, 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 supporter of dance music. So when the Sacred Love album was done, he's like, oh, man, you got to remix the new single, uh, Send Your Love. So I did that. I killed it. It was, turned out really good. And they added it to the end of his album. So the last track on the Sacred Love album is actually my remix of Send Your Love. And Sting did it live in that tour. So that was when I, that was me first meeting Sting. And of course I went to the, he had a, his, his LA date was like at the Pantages. And I remember meeting him for the first time. And, um, I forgot his, who, who introduced me, somebody backstage. Hey Sting, this is Dave Audet. You know, the guy that did the remix. It's on, you know, it's on the, and Sting goes, Hey, nice to meet you. That worked out pretty good for you. Didn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And he hates me telling that story by the way, (laughs) because that's when I first met Sting and he just crushed me. And by the way, I grew up with sar- a sarcastic dad. I've been known to be pretty sarcastic. I have a lot of English friends, but I wasn't really prepared for the for the Sting sarcasm. And I, of course, I didn't know him. So that was me first meeting Sting. And then I've remixed stuff over the years for him, really the last three years, when he started doing pop records again. What was it? Uh, uh, not, uh, fifth, what's, the, what's the album? Three, three albums ago? The rock album he did. When I remixed I Can't Stop Thinking About You. So we started we started doing stuff like three or four years ago. And I think he just started trusting me. And and Martin's managing Sting and Martin manages me. And um so Sting's like, hey, can we get Dave to do well check this out. So December of last year, about the first week of December, Sting got hired to sing uh on time in Times Square for New Year's Eve. So New Year's Eve 2018, 2019. And Martin asked Sting, what do you want to do? What do you, what's, what do you want to sing? So Sting said, let's sing some of the, something older, but is there a way for us to, I want to kind of do a new version of one of the older songs. And that was Brand New Day. So Martin said, let's give Dave a crack. Or maybe, I think Sting actually suggested, because I had just done a remix for him. He said, let's see if Dave can do a new version pretty quick. So I knocked out something in about a week. He sang it on New Year's Eve, uh, Brand New Day, in the rain in Times Square on TV. And it turned out really good. So that's really where this new album came came around from. Is um, it, it was it was very well received. So he said, "Hey, let's let's do some more." So I ended up doing another five songs, and here we are. You know, the thing about Sting that impresses me is the fact that he's a real musician, despite his celebrity. Anybody that would continue to play bass while he tours and take it that seriously, and then instead of relying on on his past is willing to actually change things around and, and be as up-to-date as he can. That impresses me, I got to say. I was pretty surprised. I mean, this is Sting, who comes from one of the, you know, some people consider the police one of the best, uh, 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 mechanically best bands and talent-wise best bands ever, just from raw talent, those three guys. So, you know, for Sting to embrace updating these songs was pretty is pretty crazy and uh thank god i didn't think about that too much i just sort of went to work 
Um, and he just kept sending me new songs. The only he sent me um, brand new days. So then, I, then he sent me Fragile. He sent me uh, If I Ever Lose My Faith, Desert Rose. What was the other one? I can't think. And then I said to him, "Hey, I'd really love uh, if you love somebody, set them free. Can I? Is there any way I could just do something on that?" And um, so they got me parts on that. He didn't ask me to do that one. He got me parts on that, and it actually just was magic. It just turned out. If you listen to the album, that's the one I really flipped. I didn't just take the original and sort of update it. I really went to town on it. But I also didn't because the original bass is in the new version. And that's the original vocal is in the new version. So I just sort of I just sort of did a new version of it, but I kept, you know, the sax the saxophone is still there, the bass is still there, but you'd kind of never know it was the original song. It's just like a it's a magical thing that happened. It just sort of turned out great. I don't know. And it's doing really well. It's like his favorite song on the album, I think, from what he's told. Maybe he's, he might be lying to me. I don't know. Let's talk about your studio for a little bit. So you have a studio at home, right? Yep. What's it built around? It's, it's really, you know, it used to be a lot different than it is now. My studio 2019 is really based around uh, a computer, an iMac. I'm not on a tower anymore. I've been on an iMac for about five years, four years, four years. And, um, and then I have a laptop. When I, when I go to LA, I take my laptop. So it's really just a Pro Tool system. And then I have really the only outboard I have is uh, a Mic Pre. I have the same Mic Pre in LA that I do here, which is a Brent Avril uh, 1272 module. And then I, I love my CL1B for, for uh, recording vocals and uh, a yeah, microphone and that's really the only I wish it was some exciting outboard analog stuff to talk about. But everything I do is in the box, except for just obviously recording vocals in. That's the way it is these days. Yeah. And you know why it's the way it is? It's not because I don't love because I grew up on on analog, you know, synthesizers and I'm a Roland guy. I have every Roland synth and I still have them. I'm looking at them right now. I still I haven't sold any of my Roland stuff. I have every drum machine known to man. I have a 909, an 808, a 707, 727, a 707, 607, 606, an OBX. I got a Lindrum. So I, I love drum machines. But for, for me, <laughs> I'm working on so many different things, and it doesn't sound that much better anymore to pull up the old analog stuff. You're not like, wow, this is really incredibly different than, you know, uh, even like uh, 10 years ago, analog still sounded pretty good when you, when, you, when you play it in. But now, stuff's sounding pretty good. Yeah. It's, the stuff in the box sounds pretty good. So, and I'm, again, I'm working on so much stuff. It just doesn't make any sense to be patching cables and, and, and hooking up MIDI, by the way, which is the worst part of the whole thing. Just getting MIDI to work and MIDI channels and then patching, it sucks. Yeah. And I, I don't have time. I don't have time to, to, to do that. I'm, I'm trying to work. You know, I'm spending a lot of my time, probably most of my time right now is spent writing songs with new artists. So, you know, and a lot, as you know, a lot of that um, work might not ever get paid for. So uh, I have to, you know, spend a little bit of every day trying to do stuff that I'm, I'm making money on. Okay. Do you have any go-to apps or go-to plugins that you use? 
Go-to plugins, apps. Well, I mean, not really apps, but um, you know, I have a Waves. I have a couple Waves bundles. Did you know that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, the EMP bundle and the producer pack, right? Yeah, you know, it's 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 the only people that are excited about that are just people that sit in front of the computer all day making music, and they're not really excited. You know, Waves are good friends of mine. I love the Waves guys, and my bundle. It's just really like it's a way for them going. We love Dave, but they haven't let me do a plugin yet. So it was like their way of, of saying, you know what, we love you, Dave. So here's a here's a bundle, which is just some plugins that I like to use that are waves. Uh, having said that, uh, if I had to give you like a top top ten or five or ten list of what I love to use, uh, I've always loved. Let's talk about not waves for a second. Sound Toys Decapitator, still one of my favorite plugins ever. A plugin that Waves does have that is similar to that but not would be the i am pusher infected mushroom pusher i don't know that one exactly you gotta try it's been out for a couple years a lot of people don't know about it uh, a techno couple couple techno a techno group called infected mushroom from tel aviv which goes with waves uh made this plugin called pusher okay and you need to check it out it's different than i would it's not it's not I wouldn't compare it to the decapitator, but it does sort similar things to that. That's great, man. I love almost every plugin made by Fab Filter. Yeah, it's like they're like the new kid on the block and killing it. Uh, I think everybody uses the Q2 or Q3. I've ha- I have the Q3. I th- I think I still the Q2 is still fine for me. For reverb, uh, I really love Valhalla, mm. the Valhalla room and plate. Actually, everything Valhalla makes is great. I use everything. They have a new delay that's insane. Their new delay is great. Not just for delay. It's great for sort of like uh, spatial effects, which is delay, but you know, you're know you not using it like a typical, a typical ping pong vocal delay or something, which it does well too. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I'm just trying to think um, in my head, everything I'm using all the time. You know, the way, let's go back to Waves because that's, I, I use a lot of Waves stuff. Uh, and when all the signature series stuff came out years ago, I sort of go back to that stuff over and over. The Maserati plugin for my drums, uh, Jack Joseph Weed stuff for like guitars and snares. Um, I use the Eddie Kramer tape uh, a lot on drums. I'm trying to think. Uh, more fun stuff. Oh, BX. So Brain uh, Plugin Alliance. Yeah. Plugin Alliance. I use some of their stuff. Um, they have a BX stereo maker, which I use a lot. Really good uh, just for making stuff that's mono, pretend like it's stereo. And that's fun to do because, like, because you know, the way I grew up anyways is like, I grew up with stereo. If I would have been born like 20 years earlier, I'd be a mono guy. But I was it really kind of came up in the 80s and 90s, so mono is really lame for me. And I know that's terrible to say, and it's funny because I I I, I think I think the current generation probably doesn't even know what mono is because everything I get from everybody is always stereo stuff. It's never I never get mono stems. I get everything stereo. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Which makes some, I have to think: is this stereo or is it mono? Okay, let's make it mono because it's not stereo, like live bass or something. Yeah, like that's not stereo. That's not a stereo track. 
Boy, is that an, is that enough stuff? Yeah, yeah, I, that's that's plenty. That's plenty. I could keep going probably if I thought about it. That's all the stuff I use every day. Okay, so is your approach to mixing different on a remix than on something that you produced from scratch? Uh, yeah, it is because when, remixing is usually well. When you say remixing again, it's usually for clubs. Right now, eighty percent of the stuff I do remixing wise is for clubs. So. My approach really is drum heavy, bass heavy, as it, and then the vocals are sort of third, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. pop records, for instance, or country records, or just you know records, let's say, period, album records, album songs, it's really about the vocal, and then everything is second, right? Right. Drums are, right. I think, and that's really it for me. For pop records, it's vocal first, everything else is second. There's no third. It's everything else is second. Club records, it's drums, bass, vocals are third, everything else is fourth, if that makes if that makes sense. On a club mix, how are you dealing with the low end, considering that most clubs have subwoofers that they're really pushing hard? I have a sub. Ah, okay. I'm mixing with a sub. I've, I, I never mix without, I never do anything without a sub. That makes sense. So I'm constantly working with a sub. I don't, I don't ever do anything without a sub, so I can hear stuff, you know, down 40 hertz 50 hertz or feel i i wouldn't say hear feel stuff down there anyways and what monitors are you using it's a great question what am i using i'm using the new jbls i fell in love with jbls when they came out with the 6328 and now i'm using the new ones which are the seven series yeah 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 the m7s yes yes i love them everybody in my world is using well Maybe not today, but really a couple years ago, everybody went crazy for barefoot. I didn't. I never went crazy for barefoot. I've been. I've been a JBL fan for a long time. The thing that impressed me about the M7s when I heard them is, no matter where you went in the room, you felt like you were in a sweet spot. It was so wide. Yeah, they're super clean. Yeah. I mean, they just really. Um, I don't. I. I, that's really all I can say. You know, look, so before I went JBL, I had these and then I had 6328s for, I don't even know how long I had those, whenever they made them, eight, nine years. Yeah, it's a good monitor. I've used them too, yeah. And by the way, it's like Pro, it's like me using Pro Tools. I, I'm never telling everybody, oh my God, you got to use Pro Tools. You shouldn't use Ableton or Logic or you use whatever you like to use. I, I, I say, hey, this is what I use. I could tell you about these speakers or, or Pro Tools, but if you want to use Ableton and you want to use tannoys or you want to use genelec or whatever you want to use great if those work for you great okay last question dave what's the best piece of business advice that maybe you learned along the way or maybe someone imparted to you hmm i've had so much advice um over the years but there's two things okay i just got some recent advice the one piece of advice i always give people always is this especially in the music business, you never know who is going to end up where. So it's always good to really be respectful of everybody, whether they're, the, they're an intern working for you, emptying your trash, going get, getting you lunch, or uh, the head of a label, obviously, you're going to be respectful to. But you just never know where people are going to end up. Um, uh, my manager, Martin Kirzenbaum, you know, his, a guy, he's had two interns that are now the heads of two labels. So he's probably a good person to, to, that, that can verify that. 
Another piece of good advice I'd, I'd give, which is just given to me by the another another head of a label two weeks ago in a meeting, is to you know learn from your mistakes. Mistakes meaning I'm going to give you three pieces of advice. Learn from things like if you if you don't do something in this project that you wish you would have done financially or 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 even musically, make sure you don't do it again. Learn from that. Everything happens for a reason. So that happens so you can learn. I I I I've had a couple projects where I really wanted to be more involved uh, executive wise, maybe, and they they blew up, and I wasn't. I just I I got left out because I didn't I didn't open my mouth and be involved. The last piece of advice I would give is don't be afraid to take care of yourself, which kind of goes along with the last piece of advice, which is don't be afraid to uh, to feel like you're worth something and your time is worth something. It's really easy for me to, to give things away for free and to do favors for people because really at the end of the day, it's music and you're not supposed to really be doing music all the time just for money, 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 money. You have to do music because you love doing it and because you believe in the artist or believe in the song or you're just enjoying the experience. It can't always be about, I'm doing this to get a check. But don't forget about that part of it and don't forget that you're worth something and don't be afraid to, to stand up for yourself with people and to make sure that you do get paid in the end when it, when it comes time to get paid because at the end of the day, uh, you're also helping if you're doing a good job, the artist. So it's okay for you to get paid. You can find out more about Dave at DaveAudet.com. That's Dave Audet, A-U-D-E, Dave Audet, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, send them to questions at BobbyOInnerCircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to BobbyOsinski.com and select the podcast tab or Go to BobbyOwnerCircle.com or find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, and now Radio Public. At BobbyOsinski.com and BobbyOwnerCircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts to new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. <music>